but we're much better than what we showed against them, and this is what we're going to show them tonight. No doubt in my Listening to the 90 Plus Podcast. Here's your hosts, Ben Rigetti and Sebastian Pereira. Unfortunately, um, after the impression of the game of yesterday, and not only that, um, we, we decided this morning that this uh, project needs another push, that this project needs um, some new life because uh, our development stacks and uh, uh, things are not going into the right direction yet. That was Actual Schuster Friday afternoon. I'm Ben Rigetti, host of 90 Podcast. This is episode 57, a special one-off. We are back. We've got a big, big episode um, so we're, you know, by we, I'm saying me, big news broke, obviously, in the last 48 hours. It's just been all over the place with the Whitecaps, losing 4-3 to Pacific FC in the uh, the Canadian Championship. That was the final nail in the coffin for Marcus Santos and has been relieved of his first team duties, as well as his brother, Phil DeSantos, as the assistant coach. Stepping up is Vanny Sartini, who I had the pleasure of talking to on episode 50. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about the new coach, go check that one out a few episodes back. But it's, you know, ever since me and Seven in that podcast, about a month, this podcast, uh, about a month ago, We've brought in the number 10. They've been on this emphatic winning streak. They got that emotional 2-1 win at home with fans over LA. Losing to Pacific, getting rid of the... It's just so much has gone on the last month. I figured it would. It, it was so tough for me just to sit by and tweet out my thoughts at Rigetti Ben on Twitter, rather than just hopping on the mic and sharing it all with you guys. And we've got a mega superstar studded stacked lineup all the way for the rest of this episode first up we have jeff ruder of the athletic really good nice guy to talk to and never had the pleasure of chatting with him before until uh yesterday i'm currently recording this and it should be out uh on saturday so about 48 hours uh after the pacific game uh, and then about 24 hours after the uh the news broke about mark DeSantos. then we wrap up with colin miller the color commentator and former assistant coach for the white caps uh he's currently with am 730 traffic him and Corey basso they have the call there on the radio for all the white caps games this season formerly 1040 as well so before we do get into that i do want to say uh my thoughts on the situation because it's a lot of, uh, you know, me and Jeff had some back and forth. Colin, I just kind of asked his thoughts and uh, similar with Tom as well. So I- I'll give my thoughts genuinely on the situation. It's a, it's a weird time to fire a coach. I, I-, I said this with uh, uh, Max Fossey of uh, uh, formerly Area 51. Now I believe he's with Radio Canada. Um, but yeah, no, he, uh, I said, you know, if it-, it feels like it's either six weeks too late or like two months too early. Because if they'd done this six weeks ago when they were still in Utah and they were, you know, this is before this like eight game run on everything. And before Ryan Gold came in, if, if this had happened, you know, 
a month and a half, two months ago, I would not have been surprised. I would have said, you know what? This team's stuck in the bottom of the basement of the Western Conference. We're not being able to put any results together. It's not looking good. You know, this is where Marcus Santos has, this is the time. Now that, you know, goals come into place, the Caps are back home with fans. They've got, I think it's eight of their last 13 games are going to be at BC Place. Uh, you know, they, they've on this run of eight games unbeaten. Now that things are starting to go their way, now I find it's a weird time. I would have thought, you know, now that they've picked it back together, I would have thought give Mark till the end of the season. And I think regardless, kind of giving him the ax, uh, whether they make the playoffs or not. Um, so I think it's a, definitely a strange time. And uh, as Jeff says, in just a few minutes here, you hear that he's not sure if he's ever quite seen a, a team uh, relieve their manager in a situation like this. And again, there's been very few situations ever like this with the playing away for a year and a half and empty stadiums and whatever else. Um so yeah, the Pacific game, I understand it was a bit embarrassing, very embarrassing. I was upset that I couldn't make the trip over, but when I saw the final score, I was like, ugh, kind of, I kind of think I dodged a bullet there. And I know there were some media difficulties after the game as well. I know it's a big loss and that, you know, DeSantos had said, you know, he wants to get to Champions League football. Whether he's with the club or not, he wants the Whitecaps to be playing in the Scotiabank CONCACAF Champions League. And, you know, the, the easy, you know, not necessarily the easiest, but the most uh, logical way in and uh, that, and the most uh, fathomable for the Whitecaps perspective is the Canadian Championship. Because realistically, you're looking at Toronto and Montreal as your only other competitors and Cavalry back in 2019. So you've got the big Battle of BC, the Ferryside Derby, former Cap uh, is coaching the uh, is Pacific FC, Parmudakar. It, it was, it was a, re- and just the way they were outplayed, it, it was embarrassing. You know, there's no dodging that. And, you know, Mark took a little responsibility, so did the players. So it's been, they beat, they've owned up to it. But just at the same time, that's a game that just can't be happening to an MLS club. But regardless, we're here to talk about, for the most part, Mark DeSantos. Um, it just so happened that it was a, a CPL team that was, that delivered the final blow for him and his time with Vancouver. So we'll get into the interviews in just a second, but yeah, I just think that this is a a nothing against uh, the Whitecaps front office or the players or Vanny Saratini. I've talked to Vanny before, as I just said. Uh, I just uh, raced home from UBC uh, and got uh, recording this now. Uh, I just talked to him at the the practice there about an hour ago. Really nice guy. And he knows that, you know, realistically, he's not going to be the permanent head coach. He knows that this is a temporary gig. He views it as an acting manager rather than interim, just because, you know, he said if he wakes up tomorrow and he's no longer a coach, that's fine because it wasn't really what he was expecting. But he said he would also never turn down the chance to be a first team head coach uh, in the MLS. So, uh, regardless, I'm very excited to see what he can do with his uh, player development. And he's, he's got a great soccer IQ and everyone loves and respects Vanny within the organization. Um, so with all that said and done, I would finally like, before we get into the interviews, I would like to uh, uh, thank uh, Mark DeSantos, A, for uh, this is uh, my second year covering the Whitecaps. So I've only ever known Mark DeSantos at UBC on the media Zoom calls, you know, at games, that all that sort of stuff. I, he's all the only manager I've ever had the pleasure of talking to as a as a journalist so he's he was always very welcoming he was always you know willing to talk he told it how it is he never tried to really dodge a question or hide or avoid anything he was always very upfront and said this is on me 
this is my mistake. I did this. Um, and so it was a sh- it, you know, in, in that person, I, I, the passion for the game that he showed was, is, is unmatched. You know, he was always the loudest at practice. He was always, you know, he never sat down during games. He was up on his feet for 90 minutes, you know, patrolling the, uh, the, 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 the area that the coaches can go down on, on the fields. Um, he was always up. He was always, you know, instructions. It, it, it was never a rest for Mark DeSantos. So in that aspect, the passion and uh, what he's delivered to this club, I, I will, and, and especially for me as well as a journalist who, again, he's the only coach I've ever really known as the, the Whitecaps head coach while I've been in media. So for that, I, I'll, I'll say thank you. And I think, uh, you know, it's it's really tough to say that uh, he hasn't improved the squad. You know, it's been a tough two and a half years given the uh, the outside factors, you know, COVID aside, there's been a whole lot of injuries to key players. There's been a lot of international call-ups that have hindered him for, you know, weeks at a time. So he, he, he has had a bit of a tough go, but, you know, it is a results-based business. And I wrote a big piece on Last Word for Sports that you guys can go check out. Uh, you guys know that I'm a writer there. So I wrote a big piece all about this, basically explaining it as well. Um, but yeah, no, the quality of the squad is just so much better than the one that he took over from Carl Robinson a few years back. So for that, you know, you, in that aspect, you've got to, you view it as a positive and, you know, this is, we want to try, I did my best to try to keep this a positive episode. There were a, t- a, couple, a time or two where it was like, uh, you know, just kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a, a nasty ish feeling just because, you know, I, I think the final record was like 22 wins, 18 draws and 37 losses. You know, it's, it's not too flattering, especially given that the Whitecaps have spent a lot of money getting in players uh, to help bolster this team. So and we'll dive into all that in just a second, but yeah. And I would just also like to say once again, thank you guys for supporting the podcast. I know this is a bit of a one-off emergency, you know, red alarms going off. I'm not sure if whoever, if I'll, if I'll do this again, um, I do like this kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say anything right now. I'll, I, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, regardless, you know, the, the generic every, after every game, the podcast that is over as you guys have been able to tell for the last few weeks, uh, despite the fact maybe we and Seb were bad luck and, you know, we were holding the team back somehow with our, our coverage. Cause ever since we stopped, they've been doing well. Anyway, that's a wormhole. I don't want to get into. We'll start off right now. Jeff Ruder from The Athletic. Thank you guys so much again. I'll talk to you guys at the end of the episode. All right. We welcome on now Jeff Ruder of The Athletic, staff writer covering the MLS and just North American soccer in general. Jeff, it's been a very busy 24, give it 30 odd hours or so for the Vancouver Whitecaps faithful, the organization, definitely the coaching staff as well. So, you know, we all know why everyone's here listening to this episode today. Mark DeSantos, no longer with the club. You heard the news break at about two o'clock, at least Pacific, four o'clock for you. What's your initial reaction to that? Um, Cup competitions mean more than most people in North America give them credit for. (laughs) <laughs> I think that that's truly what it is, because if you look at Mark Dos Santos's league record, uh, this is a shocking move because right now, yes, yeah. only three wins in the last 11 matches, if I'm not mistaken, but three wins and five draws in the last eight as well. And so you're mm-hmm. also looking at it where unbeaten in eight games in any league, your job is not at risk. Granted, start of 2021, 2019 and 2020, all in combination, there are some very different stakes that come into Mm -hmm. play. But when you look at the results against Pacific FC, I think it is very understandable 
um, where that result would get under the skin of management more than say, if the game against San Jose three weeks ago, two weeks yeah. ago had not finished zero zero, but had actually been, you know, a one zero San Jose win. I don't think that you would have seen the same reaction. I think that there is, uh, as the Canadian Premier League looks to stabilize itself, looks to establish itself and, and really show what its level is in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm south of the border. And so I think you look at it, it's like, is it to a similar extent as the USL championship? Is it somewhere in between the championship and MLS? Is it getting closer to League One? Like people are still assessing it because of COVID. And I think that when you lose, um, you know, in the way that they did, basically a 4-2, yes, there was that one goal deep in stoppage time, but it didn't change yeah. the result. Essentially, 4-2, 4-3 result. Um, uh, that, that, that's not something that you want to challenge. If you're not going to challenge in Cascadia in that cup in one year, you want to make sure that you're challenging for the Canadian mm-hmm. And so I, I can understand some of the reaction in that extent. But did the timing, did that catch you off guard? It it did. And I'll, I'll break down your point in a second there. So you, the, the, the the big story around, you know, before yesterday's game, you know, the, the, the Canadian, you know, the footy scene, we like to believe, you know, it's on the rise. We've got players breaking through. We've got, you know, the, the, the Octo starting in just a few weeks for the national team. Uh, and I think it's like next week or something. Um, but regardless, you know, it, 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 there's this big wave of, in, you know, Canadian soccer influence going on. And the Canadian right. Premier League is like the baby of it all. You know, everyone wants to take care. They all look at it. They'll tune Absolutely. in every now, they'll tune in now and again, but very few people that our casual soccer fans across Canada will say, I'm a fan of the Halifax Wanderers. No, you're going to say Toronto, okay. Montreal, or Vancouver. That's, that, that, that's how, at least, you know, that's at least my understanding of a lot of it. Sure. So okay. all of a, you've got two teams in BC. You've got the big, mighty Vancouver Whitecaps, and then the relatively brand new Pacific FC, you know, an hour ferry ride across the, uh, over to Vancouver Island there. First ever meeting between the two BC clubs. There is a massive amount of buzz around it ever since the draw was given, saying it's going to be at Starlight Stadium in, uh, in, uh, over on the island. You know, yeah. people were booking their ferry tickets. People were getting their game day tickets, looking at hotels. It was right away. It was, you know, this is, this is the big one. And so, you know, when we saw that, that, you know, we've got a, a you know, CPL opponent in the first round, a lot of Whitecaps fans got PTSD. We suffered a another humiliating 2019 uh, right. Canadian Championship exit to uh, uh, Cavalry. I, yeah, back in uh, yeah, in yeah. Calgary over the, the two legs. So that was, you know, we've heard it. You know, Whitecaps fans have had it up to you know their heads and beyond uh, from that draw. So we're thinking, okay, uh, you know, and a, a big goal of Mark DeSantis is as well that he's wanted to play Champions League football with the Whitecaps. He realizes realistically it's not going to come through the success of the MLS Cup. He knows that mm-hmm. realistically, you know, obviously <laughs> they're pretty long shots to win the US Open Cup. So, I'd, oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, the Canadian <laughs> Championship, when a lot of people, you know, don't really need to look further into it, then you've got Montreal and Toronto to beat. That's really... Sure. Just yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, they're the MLS teams are the ones that the Whitecaps, you know, are supposedly and supposed to be on par with. So the loss like this, it, it's as humiliating as it gets. It's worse than the Cavalry one. 
A, because it was the final nail in the coffin for Mark DeSantos. It was the first time the two BC clubs have ever played each other. There was all this buzz for so long. It was the big, you know, we have to win the Canadian Championship to get into the, the Champions League for next year. All of it started, you know, so much spiraled off of this one game for, uh, against, you know, um, uh, no offense to Pacific FC. They put up an incredible fight and former Whitecaps center back Paul Moudakaz, the, the coach over there. But right. Um, right. All, all credit to them, but, you know, a minnow of a club compared to the Whitecaps. So I don't know if I would say it caught me off guard when I saw the final result. And I saw a lot of the backlash on Twitter. I saw that the way that they performed, I saw the way that they were second to every ball. The other team had more uh, drive. They had more purpose. They had more fight in them. And that's just something that doesn't come about often when the team that's, you know, 10 times bigger than one team, you know, face each other in a, in a, a cup game. So I'm not sure if it surprises me or caught me off guard, but at the same time, I'm surprised how much has like sprung off from this. If that sort of makes sure. sense. I think that there's something inherently more drastic about losing four to three yeah. against a CPL opponent. I'm going to use the U S open cup as an equivalent here. Yeah. Um, you know, when Minnesota United was in the NASL, if they could beat an MLS team, that was a major shock. Whereas if Minnesota was hosting FC Cincinnati while they're in the USL, they needed to win that game. Like that is not a loss that you want on your register if you're Adrian Heath, the head coach of the Loons. In a similar sense, how many times in other countries do you see a 1-0 loss where a team from a lower level beats you in a cup competition? It's a great story. And you just say, look, they bunkered in, they countered, they took their one chance that they got, and then they kept their shape. But when it's four to two and then four to three in the 90 plus five, Mm-hmm. that's it's, oh it that's yeah. decisive that is that is more than just one mistake that's more than yeah. just one lapse in judgment by your defensive partnership mm-hmm. um I, I i can understand where that looks like it's a more holistic representation of where the club sits at that moment um so i think mm-hmm. the, the, the nature of the loss yeah. definitely i mean like as you as you talked about the fan backlash i mean Someone, uh, I I had put in our headline at The Athletic that Vancouver continues to not spend despite having one of the top four sales, top three sales in MLS history. And uh, a reader told me, no, they were the top spending team in CONCACAF in the winter. Did Mm -hmm. did not not registering for the fact that most clubs weren't spending in the world this winter because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the associated global recession economically, where it really isn't a hard pageant to win in the Mm -hmm. winter but not looking at the fact that Vancouver Whitecaps still have the lowest payroll in terms of player salaries mm-hmm. added up, regardless of allocation money, regardless of transfer fees, just how much are you spending on your players' wages? 27th mm-hmm. out of 27 this season. And you, and we'll move on from this, this in a sec. I've got a few more questions I want to ask you, but uh, you know, you look at, you know, up until three weeks ago, the Whitecaps had one designated player on their roster. You know, the, uh, you know, Lucas Cavallini out with a long-term injury. Ali Adnan, uh, you know, he's uh, no longer with the club anymore because of, you right. know, uh, visa issues trying to get into the country when they were playing down in Utah. So, you know, they played, you know, a number of games. And even when Lucas Cavallini wasn't performing and he was healthy, a number of games, the Whitecaps would go out there with 11 players. None of them are designated. And, you know, it's, you know, there was the search for the massive, you know, big number 10 and, You've obviously got our guy now, Ryan Gold, who in the last two games has got three and a half goals. 
Um, it's, right. it, you know, it's, right. it, yeah. it, 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 yeah. it feels, it, it feels good to kind of have that, you know, at least, you know, there's one player that, you know, we know he's going to be the driving force and we know that he's going to come in. He's the designated player. He has to deliver. And he has. So that at least well, it's the most that, confident that you can be in any one player since Pedro Morales left. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I do. We've got a few more. I do have a couple of other guests on the show uh, coming up. So we'll, we'll skip through a couple. Um, so rapid, somewhat rapid fire. Does Mark DeSantos make it to the end of the season if they beat Pacific? If they keep going at the same pace they are in the league? Do they, yeah. does he make it to the end of the season? If it's a competitive cup competition and if they're able to keep within the top 10 and not fall into, you know, 11, 12, 13 range in the Western conference, I think he keeps his job till the end of the season. They decline his option and then they aren't paying two coaches yeah. at once as will likely be the case now. I, yeah. I think so. Yeah, no, I agree. And when Mark, you know, was first brought to the club, he made, he made this big sort of, you know, statement saying, I've got this three-year plan in year one, we're going to rebuild. And he claimed that it was going to be a one-year rebuild. And, you know, we're laughing at that now. Um, but, you know, he, he said, you know, one year one's going to be tough. Don't get me wrong. Second year, we're going to make the playoffs, you know, if it's to close, whatever. Third year, we're going to be competitive can I, in the can playoffs. Can I just say one thing about that? I agree yep. with you that, you know, it's laughable, the one-year rebuild looking on the back of 2018 and that team. You saw that there was a little bit of catching lightning in the bottle with yeah. Alfonso Davies' partnership with even Kai Kamara, oddly. Like, yeah. not the couple you would have necessarily put together, but it made a lot of sense on the field. Yeah. Um, but I think that trusting someone in their first MLS job to be in charge of player personnel decisions is mm-hmm. a very damning decision from ownership. I think that that's something that makes zero sense. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time, it was very questionable. He had no experience. He had been in LAFC for one year as an yeah. assistant coach. There's no way that he could have the same sort of intel that a designated general manager, sporting director would have. And so I think mm-hmm. that there was something that was very, very odd. Honestly, as I was looking at it from the outside, 2019 lost season. It did it with the wrong yeah. pieces? Fine. You bring in Axel Schuster to help right the ship, steady the ship a little bit, but then you have the COVID pandemic. This felt like the first year where it was really what are we getting with Mark Dos Santos? Exactly. And he did start to have these results. I think that's why you're finding people outside of Vancouver who are more quizzical about the nature of this departure and who are a little yeah. bit more confused about the timing of it and about, again, the league pointing to the league results, pointing to the spending, whatever, where Vancouver's mm. fans will say, well, wait a minute, it's his third season. Why is he getting the axe? It felt yeah. incredibly rash given the amount of resources that he had, given the amount of staffing support that he had in the club. And it really mm-hmm. did feel like in retrospect, he was set up to fail on the back of Carl Robinson being able yeah. to get as much out of his players as he had been able to for so many years. Uh, I, I'll use this time to plug myself. Uh, I just released an article on Last Word on Sports. Uh, and I there was, a, you know, it was just an overall view of what went wrong for Carl Robinson, uh, not Carl Robinson, you've got that in my head now, for Mark DeSantos, uh, <laughs> sure. you know, what success came out of his tenure at the club. And, you know, there was there was a, a big part of my article where I, you know, the, the front office, you know, I, I pointed out some areas where, you know, like you said, he was set up to fail. He, you know, he was the head of the scouting department for the, for the first two years he was with the club. You know, how can a yeah. head coach be the head of a scouting? You know, people are saying, oh, you're not getting enough players in. They're not quality. The ones you bring in, they're not sticking, you know, it, you know, so we, and all of a sudden you bring on Nicholas Overhaul, who's done a great job with, uh, with Brentford and uh, Midgetland over in 
I believe it's Denmark. I'm not sure. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah, and um, he's done a great job with them. All of a sudden, he's come in. He's landed Deber Caicedo, who's been great. They landed yep. Bruno Gaspar, who, you know, he, we had high hopes for him on the loan. And even, you know, injuries. No it's a profile of player but... that you weren't able to acquire two years ago. Exactly. You know, Ryan Gold's yeah. coming to the... And, you know, we were even linked to guys like Ottavio, Chiquinho, like very high-rated profile players that would have been, you know, very high up in terms of skill in the, the MLS. And Ryan Gold is nonetheless, absolutely. So, you know, it's, in, you know, one difference that Nikos Overhaul coming in, you know. So regardless, the, the front office is, you know... Uh, I, not as much to blame, but you know they have a lot of weight on his. No, shoulders. I think they're as much to blame. No, yeah. I think they're as much to blame, if not more. I think that there's only so much you can work with. I think that there's something valuable in the sense of saying that yes, a chef should choose their ingredients to use an old Bill Parcells cliche in the NFL, where you want the coach to choose their players. But if they've never worked in cooking, but in cooking at that sort of level of cuisine before, you should mm-hmm. have someone buying their ingredients. And I think yeah. that there is something where you look at your only designated player investment for just about two years is Ali Adnan. That's not not setting you up to be contending in major league soccer to say anything about competing Mm -hmm. in the MLS cup and moving on beyond that. Um, I think it's just as much. Yes. Tactically, there's more you want. There are some young players that didn't develop the way that you wanted to over the last two and a half years, but I still think it's very harsh to say that this is more on Dos Santos than the organization, given what he was to work with, especially when you look at it in the lens of 2019 and 2020, forgetting the winter transfer window leading up to 2021 when it finally seemed like things were getting back on track. Um, Sort of uh, similar sort of question to that. How much did outside factors play a part in this uh, decision? You know, the COVID pandemic, you know, the Whitecaps have, they face a lot of injuries uh, and a lot of international call-ups where they'd be missing five, six players at a time to Canada and stuff. You know, how, how much can you not necessarily blame, but, you, you, you can you point to it as a, like a somewhat of as, as as an excuse to uh some of the no not as, yeah the the poor stretches of form at times uh international not as much because i think that if you are if you are going to be that level of a club you're inevitably going to have players who are good enough to represent their country um and this is something that you're seeing happen with toronto and montreal at any given international window as well but i think that you also look and say what a disadvantage for 12 months over the course of two seasons split equally to be playing mm-hmm. in Utah or for yeah. other cases to be playing in Florida mm-hmm. that you, you never have a home field advantage. You never have a way support. You never have players sleeping in their own beds. You're mm-hmm. constantly in hotels. You're constantly in Airbnbs or apartments, whatever it is, it's temporary. Yeah. They're not with their families. Nobody's with their family. Nobody is comfortable. And so they're never in the same place that even the traveling player visiting yeah. Utah would ever be in. And then you have to have the audacity to be like Rio Tinto Stadium where Vancouver Whitecaps are hosting Real Salt Lake. What an yeah. incredible disadvantage, right? And I think that there's something incredibly, um, you cannot, fully measure and quantify the importance of those sort of familiar comforts and those sort of routines that players are able to get into where, yes, I'm making my own coffee on game day when I'm playing a home game, little things like that can matter. Instead of like, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm in the Starbucks line and I'm rushed and the person in front of me is taking their time and I'm frustrated and it throws my whole day off. We've all been in that coffee shop line. And if you're having to do that every single game on top of everything else, um, you can say, it sounds like an excuse. You can say that, teams should be able to get past that 24 of the 27 teams have not had to deal with that during the pandemic three have Montreal is scraping 
to be in the playoff contention. Toronto, it's a lost season. Vancouver, it looks like it's going to be a lost season now after this decision. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't discount it. I think that it's, you can't look at this without the context of being a Canadian club in Major League Soccer being based out of the southern half of the United States in particular uh, for the back half of 2020 and the first half of 2021. You kind of answer my next question here. How much does this decision hurt the Whitecaps playoff push? I think it kills it because it I think it? that there's, I think so. I, I think, I mean, like, look, like there's always a chance there's, you can always, yeah. Rudy is a movie that exists off a true story, yeah. right? Like anything can happen mm-hmm. in sports. And so I won't say, I shouldn't say it, yeah. it kills it, but I will say it puts them at a severe disadvantage because now you are entirely betting on the players in the locker room, having that sort of intrinsic, we're doing it for ourselves now. Yeah. Um, because you don't even have a member of the holdover coaching staff who's taking over, right? So yeah. in, in that sense, there's no continuity in locker room voices. There's no continuity in game planning, probably. And so if you are changing the game plan from what Dos Santos was doing, what you would expect a team to do after getting rid of a coach, it's partly yeah. because you don't trust the game plan that's going on anymore. Um, if you're moving away from that at a certain mm-hmm. point, you're at a major disadvantage because every single player is back to one. Um, yeah. And I think that you've continued to have teams on the fringe or outside the playoff picture in the Western Conference who look like they should be playing better. And people have been waiting for LAFC to wake up, right? And as you Mm -hmm. saw against Vancouver a week and a half ago, didn't happen. But at some point they might. And I think that you look at the rest of the conference, um, you know, Dallas is also making a push. Portland is also outside the playoff places. RSL and San Jose are barely clinging on. Minnesota's barely clinging on. Um, that's mm-hmm. a lot of teams with a lot more continuity, even RSL by bringing in Pablo Mastroeni, who'd been the assistant under Freddy Juarez before he left yeah. earlier in the day, um, mm-hmm. where it's a significant disadvantage at this time with no transfer window to help sort of put bandages on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a good point you put right at the end there. There is no transfer window. Uh, the assistant, you know, the interim head coaches that are coming in here, they're not going to say, you know, even if I'm here for three months, I'm going to try bringing a few players that I like the look of, that I can try my way for a few months. If it doesn't work out, so be it. No one expected anything of me. I'm an interim head coach. Right. So I do, I think that is a good point to make that the coaches that are stepping into the situation they're stuck with what they've got. There's, you know, the the players within the locker room are the players that they're going to have to try to pull results out of. So I I do like that point. Uh, My final question uh, before we, before we wrap up here, what is going to be your lasting thoughts or what will you think of in five years time when you think of Mark DeSantos? If you are, if you find yourself thinking of Mark DeSantos in five years. Well, I I wrote a piece about (laughs) his Deltas team that won a title three years after they won a title. So sure, I'll probably be thinking about Mark DeSantos Whitecaps in three to five years. I think that's in character for me at this point. Um, Yeah, I think that I will look at the slow reaction to selling Alfonso Davies and Mm -hmm. the club's seeming hesitation to truly take advantage of the windfall that they fell into by developing Mm -hmm. the best prospect in Major League Soccer history to date. Um, truly, uh, I, I think that there was, there's some legacy questions about him in terms of being a lower division manager in the United States too, where, Mm -hmm. and this will become increasingly relevant for CPL coaching candidates, by the way, um, where teams are hesitant and they look and say, okay, Gio Savarisi transitioned from the New York Cosmos very well to the Portland Timbers. But what was the, what was the climate at the Portland Timbers club where it's a stable club, a roster that had already won MLS cup two years before he came in, all of these factors that are completely different than what Mark Dos Santos walked into. Um, 
I think that you look at Vancouver and they have an interesting reputation in the league right now of being too patient with their coaches. A lot of people in MLS think they held on to Carl Robinson one season too long. A yeah. lot of people think that <laughs> a Marcus lot of people Santos in Vancouver think that too. <laughs> right. Like I think that now the next person isn't going to get that luxury because they're going to want to flip that. So the next person, whoever takes that job, bless their soul. Um, they are going to have a much shorter lease than Dos Santos and mm-hmm. certainly Carl Robinson had because of what they had. Um, yeah. So it is the pressure now on Axel Schuster to be able to step in and make sure that the expenditure is smarter if it's not growing. You've seen it with the mm-hmm. Philadelphia Union. They won the Supporter Shield last year with a payroll this year in 2021 numbers now. So just not including Brendan yeah. Aronson, Mark McKenzie, who really kind of carried them. Um, they're only spending about 600,000 American dollars more than the Vancouver Whitecaps in 2021. Mm-hmm. And that's still a playoff contending team. You can do it. You just need to be better at doing it and not say putting your head coach in charge of scouting as well. Yeah. Um, I think that I'll remember it as a team that was a late bloomer, a late surge. I think that this is one of the most head scratching times to part ways with a head coach I can think of in the last five, 10 years of major league soccer. Um, that's a confidence booster right there. That's a, that's, I'm serious. That's what, yeah. No, I'm serious. Yeah, it makes yeah. no sense to me, man. I think that once, once you got on this stretch of eight games without losing in the league, any coach is going to feel like their job's okay. Even if the cup has an upset. Um, and so I think that the timing of it with the fact that they have pulled themselves level on points with LAFC ahead of all three teams in Texas, um, I think that they would have looked and said, look, we have a real chance now with the last 14 games. And like you said, the majority of them BC plays to be able to make this playoff chase. And this really does seem to be throwing you off that path entirely. If there is someone who is able in the club to use the players better then great for the fans great for the club that is necessary but on the outside looking in right now it is very difficult to see the way that that happens and honestly what is the difference at this point in finishing 10th in the conference with a coherent identity and finishing 7th in the conference but having to hit the reset button at the end of the season anyway if you're going to lose your first playoff game it's very tricky in a league like this where 7th place looks so much better than 8th place yeah uh, and, you know, you said that kind of halfway through your point, and we'll wrap up here in two seconds, but, uh, you know, Carl Robinson, maybe one year too long. Mark DeSantos, maybe, you know, six months, however, you know, maybe a little bit longer. Well, like, I think then. we said this before recording. We had said if he yeah. had been let go six weeks earlier, six results earlier, like It'd when you were just surprising. in that skid, it made so much more yeah. sense at that time. So, and uh, Axel Schuster came in at the start of 2020 and he's got experience at Schalke in Germany. He's got experience at one or two other German clubs and he's got a lot of connections in and around Europe and he's been around the European soccer scene for quite a while now. Could, mm-hmm. you know, there's never going to be a situation where a manager in, uh, say, the Bundesliga, obviously I know MLS isn't quite the Bundesliga standard, but, you know, there's never going to be a situation in a major league in Europe where a coach gets two seasons of finishing last place and, you know, a fair, you know, you know, just above, you know, a hypothetical relegation zone per se. Uh, And then, you know, and then it looks like he's going to be in a little bit of a relegation fight again. There's no way that manager gets two and a half seasons with that club. So, and, you know, Axel Schuster said in his press conference today, you know, ever since I've been here, I've been at this club for two months longer than this pandemic's going on. It's been really tough for me. I didn't have the, the luxury of being here and experiencing the club before this happened. So, uh, I just think regardless that, you know, this next coach that comes in, we've made the mistake by we, I'm talking on white caps. The club, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the club's made the mistake of keeping Robo too long. Maybe have kept the Santos too long, the leash a little bit too long, you know, made, let him make a couple of too many mistakes. So this next coach that comes in, 
Uh, I, I can't see it being the same situation. Like you said, the leash has got to be shorter. You know, the, the time frame. it can be three years. You can't afford to waste three years on a plan that he promises is going to work and doesn't like Mark DeSantos did. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's a good point that I think we're going to end on here. Jeff, thank you very, very much for joining us here on 90 plus. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. This is a, a little bit of a coming out of retirement episode. We stopped the podcast about a month ago for the foreseeable future. And we just said, you know, given the last 24 hours, we need a, a 911 emergency pods. And you know what? We're really glad to have ran into you. Maybe a little bit too late. You know, maybe we're following the same suit of Mark DeSantos a little bit too late, but better late than nether. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yeah. Happy to be on. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yep. All right. Joining me now is Colin Miller from AM730 Traffic, longtime color commentator for the Whitecaps and making his 90 plus podcast debut. Colin, it's been a very busy 24 hours or so for the Whitecaps in all regards. So we thank you for making carving time out of your day coming on. And how are you doing? <laughs> Dude, fine. Thanks for, for having me on the show. It's, uh, but you're right. It has been a a very trying, very difficult uh, 24 hours for the club, and uh, we'll see what the future brings here. So we'll start off. You heard the news around two o'clock today. What's your initial reaction when you see the when you see the news and the press conference come out? Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things when you've been in the game for as long as I have been, uh, Ben. It, it's uh, it's a situation that at, at times is inevitable that the manager will lose his job. I've been in that position myself a number of times. Uh, one of them actually was when the league folded. So I don't know how many managers you may interview in your time, but there won't be many that have actually been in charge of a club when the league has actually folded. But, um, it, you know, I, I've gone through this myself at, uh, as a manager and as an assistant manager down in uh, at Derby County with the in the English Premier League when I was uh, Billy Davies' assistant there. And it's not, it's not a good time. It's not a good time. I've also experienced it many times as a football player when, uh, when the manager changes hands. So it, you, you know that, that this industry itself is, is a horrendous industry. It's a terrific mm -hmm. industry, but it's also a, a horrendous uh, industry. And the game, I tell young players, I tell young coaches that the game itself doesn't care about you. Um, you have to go and try and master it. Now, uh, it, it it's a, it's a difficult situation. When, when I first found out, I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, I could understand that with the result and probably the performance uh, against Pacific, I, I think that just was maybe the final piece of the puzzle. And, and uh, you know, Mark has done, uh, I think he's done a, a, an admirable job for the Vancouver Whitecaps in incredibly mm -hmm. difficult circumstances. I, I could only imagine how difficult it has been for him uh, as a manager of the club to be away uh, for so long. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's easy to write about it. It's easy to think about it or, or discuss it in, in the pubs or wherever the, the supporters speak about the game. But until you've actually gone on that sort of thing, I mean, for instance, myself, I've been on a three or four game road trip and yeah. I know how difficult that can be. When you've been away for 31 of those games or 33, whatever the number was, that's an, an incredible amount of football to be away from home. So mm -hmm. I, I was I was really disappointed from a personal point of view. Mark is a friend. 
the enemy in a number of occasions when I was with the Vancouver Whitecaps as the assistant coach with, with Tater Thordeson a number of years ago in the MLS and, and before we went into the MLS. And I've also competed against him many times with FC Edmonton uh, when Mark was at o Ottawa and also with... Uh, so the, there was a, the personal side of it was there was a sense of disappointment because I thought he was actually getting, you know, he'd gone on a consistent run with the team, uh, an unbeaten run, I think, of seven or eight games. Uh, and it looked to me like things were starting to change a little bit. The fact that he was home uh, as well, the tremendous support that the Whitecaps received. So when it came... You know, it, I'm just so numb to anything that happens in football, the unbelievably ridiculous transfer fees, unbelievably ridiculous salaries that players are earning nowadays. Nothing surprises me anymore, but mm -hmm. it, it's a it's a big, big step here now for the Whitecaps. And I know speaking with Axel Schuster, sorry, listening to Axel yeah. Schuster today at his press conference, uh, it'll be very interesting to see the reaction of the players. Uh, Vanny Sartini is a very accomplished coach. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm sure the, the club is in good hands with Vanny. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm disappointed for, on a personal note from Mark. All right, so we've got a few uh, points you can take off of that. So we'll start with, if, if the result goes differently last night uh, against Pacific, does Mark stay till the end of the season? I think he does. I, I think that, well, I know from my own time at, at the Whitecaps, as, as I said, as the assistant mm -hmm. coach for, for two seasons there, that the mandate from the club was to get into the, the or win the Canadian Championships and get into the playoffs. And that hasn't changed. I know the ambition of the club uh, really well, and I know that that hasn't changed. So I think that uh, the combination of, of if the Whitecaps had won last night, for sure, they're into the next round. And you know yourself in cup play, in a one-off situation, you know, anything can happen. And this sort what happened last night is not unique to football. It, yeah. it happens every year. Uh, you know, I remember even going back to my own playing experience when I was playing for Hearts in the semi-final of the Scottish Cup and we're playing against uh, Airdrie. So you've got a, a Scotland's largest, uh, sorry, third largest football club playing against a smaller provincial club we took 25,000 people to Hamden Park that day and lost 1-0. So, and and uh, we were a Scottish Premier League side playing against Airdrie, a Scottish first division side. So these things happen. It's not uh, it's not unheard of for this to happen. It happens on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I think it was just more the manner of, of the defeat line where uh, Pacific were just, were just better than the Whitecaps. It was simple as that, on the night. And that this may happen, you know, one out of ten games, Ben. But yeah. it may. But last night it was right from the whistle, and I said on air uh, with Corey Vasso that if the Whitecaps don't compete here, they're going to get beat. And you can throw tactics out the window, but I think that uh, you know a combination of of getting the the right result would I think would have long long winded answer, Paul. It would have extended Mark's uh, uh, tenure as a boss for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so sort of uh, spinning off what you said in, in the first part as well there uh, how much you know do these outside factors play a part in this decision you know COVID playing down the states and then little things like injuries we've seen a number of key players be injured for long terms uh, international call-ups visa troubles like the Ali Adnan situation 
how much does that factor into uh, this decision here? I think they all factor in because they're actually factors that go against the team. Yeah. You know, it's not as if it's a, it's a, a dominating factor that's adding to the team's uh, uh, chances of getting results. These are all factors that contribute against the team. And I think it's actually to, and I said this uh, to Mark, uh, sorry, to, to Axel Schuster on Friday uh, at training, that I think Mark DeSantos and his staff deserve an enormous amount of credit because I think lesser groups could have thrown the towel in by now. I mean, the Whitecaps are just, just three points out of the playoffs. And you think of how many games they've been away from home. Uh, I, I think it's to Mark DeSantis' credit that uh, they've managed to hang in there. And, and I've said with the, with the backing of the Whitecaps supporters, they could be pushed on to, to, to getting into the playoffs. But all those factors you said, make it sound, you go, you, you go, well, actually, yeah, that's another thing that went against Mark and, and the team. And, uh, you know, injuries are part of football. That, that's a fact. So yeah. that you, you allow certain things. Uh, but the, the biggest one easily is the COVID situation. When you're away from, from everything, uh, you, you know, it's not mm-hmm. a fair fight. Even when the crowds were starting to be allowed back into the, the stadiums down the States, the Whitecaps were still playing down at Real Salt Lake in empty stadiums. So they were, they, everything was against them. And, and as I said, the, the fact that they're still in the mix for the playoffs speaks volumes for, for the work that the staff have done. Uh, so moving forward, we've got about a third of the season to go. I believe, you know, we've got 13-ish games left. And I think eight of them are going to be at BC Place. So that's a heavy, somewhat home field advantage. Fans are back, you know, confidence is high. Um, you know, players have been signed, they're, you know, performing well and everything. How much does this decision impact the Whitecaps playoff push for this last stretch of the season here? Yeah, it was actually one of our poll questions on on our broad, radio broadcast is, you know, coming back home, will this mm. be enough to push the Whitecaps into the playoffs? I, I genuinely believe it will be uh, mm. because I, I know that the, I'm I'm a I'm a Glasgow Glasgow through, but underneath that I'm a Whitecaps supporter. I want the Whitecaps. We need the Whitecaps to do well in in yeah. the city. It's crying out for a winner, and I I genuinely believe that if the team is on the cusp of something, the Whitecaps fans would turn out in numbers for sure. Ryan Gold has has definitely set the heather on fire, if you like, with with his play. Um, so I I think a combination of that. Uh, as well as being at home and, and playing in front of your supporters, it has to be a lift. There's no question about it. And, mm-hmm. and I've, I said on the air last night that the, the Whitecaps fans have a very important role to play here, starting on Sunday against Real Salt Lake, because we can either sit and boo the team, we can give, give a stick from the crowd, or we can get right behind the team. And it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, that's the reaction I'd like to see from the Whitecaps supporters here is, What's happened has happened. It's it's a horrendous situation. It's not a nice situation to be in. But the Whitecaps supporters have a big role to play here, moving the club forward. Uh, and then finally, we'll end on a bit of a, a positive, more upbeat uh, note. Uh, what is going to be your lasting memories and thoughts of Mark DeSantos? If you look back in a few years' time and someone mentions Mark DeSantos, what are you going to think of? Well, uh, certainly the difficulties in that, that he, uh, you know, I went for dinner a couple of times with Mark 
And, uh, you know, he spoke, he always spoke very positively about the club and the supporters. He, as I said earlier, he was disappointed about the COVID thing and, and that certainly worked in his factors. But I, I actually think the game last Saturday against LAFC uh, was was a collector's item in terms of, mm-hmm. uh, I know the, the lower bowl wasn't full because of COVID and so on, but the noise in the second half in particular, the crowd pushing the team on, then for Ryan Gold to come on and score the, score the winner, uh, I, I just thought it was it was a fantastic uh, a fantastic finish to the game in a game that the Whitecaps, to be honest with you, probably shouldn't have won given the chances. But then the reaction from the supporters after the game, uh, singing the song "Stand by Me" as well, I, I just thought that was that was fantastic, and there was a real feel good factor there, and and I, I think that. Although Mark has lost his job, but I think that can act catalyst now for the rest of the season uh, in a positive manner for the Whitecaps because that will be the expectation is for those supporters to react the same way they did last Saturday at, at every home game here now to try and push the guys forward. But uh, it, it's not been an easy time for Mark DeSantis. It really hasn't. There's a lot of things, and you mentioned them already, that uh, that were scripted against him. And, and sometimes as a player, you go to a club and it clicks. You know, you score goals, you've hit the ground running, kind of touch wood like Ryan Gold has for, for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Or you sign a big money player, it becomes a, a flop. Mm-hmm. Likewise, as a manager, I, I, my first managerial job, I got relegated. But I think I'm going to be the next Walter Smith or Graham Souness, uh, you know, in, in the hot mm-hmm. seat. And it was a, an absolutely disastrous time for me. But uh, with, with Mark, I thought he controlled the situation admirably. He kept a, a, stiff, a stiff upper lip, as we say in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, regular. He didn't make excuses. You know, he, he tried to keep a positive spin on things uh, and he, he kept pushing his first forward. So that's what I'll remember is that, that uh, Mark and his staff put in a terrific shift to try to get the Whitecaps to the next level. Yeah, I, I do agree with you on that, that, you know, there have been, you know, at times where the you know, club has faced a lot of criticism, whether it's for uh, form, what you've, the fans have seen on the field, regardless. And, you know, Mark has never tried to deflect the conversation or tried to duck and avoid a question. You know, I, I, I will give him a, a lot of credit. And that's something that's one that's one of, you know, that's something that I'm always going to remember about him, that he's going to, you know, he, he told it how it is, whether it was good or bad. Um and I, 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 the, the, the giving the kids a chance, you know, he, so many of these young, you know, U23 Canadian players have broken through and you've seen Theo Bear having success already out in Norway and everything. So I, I, I really think that his, his willingness to kind of experiment with some of the younger kids and try really try to develop work on that youth system, get them in it. So now that, you know, Vanny Sartini finishes the season, you know, whether he's there day one of next year or you know, somebody else is a permanent head coach, that's to be decided. But, you know, there's, a lot of quality youngsters that are coming through that I think a lot of managers in the MLS may not have sort of looked towards uh, regardless, you know, whether that's the fact that there's only three Canadian teams and there's a massive Canadian influence, obviously on the club. So uh, I, I, I've really, you know, as a beat reporter and as someone that, you know, just 
you know, that I like, I like to see the white cap succeed and I like to, you know, I've followed the club since I was 10 years old and everything. So it's good to sort of see that the club, at least in terms of the players is in safe hands and it's not, you know, a flaming mess that whoever comes in next is going to have to start from the scratch and, you know, square one and all that. It's, there's a good base for whoever comes in to really elevate this club. Yeah, I really agree with that. I saw the uh, the tail end of Carl Robinson's tenure. It was not a good place to be. Uh, mm-hmm. That's for sure. I was I attended sessions and I could see what was going on behind the scenes. And uh, you know, uh, you know, as a manager, when your time is is coming to an end, for sure. And if you, I, I wouldn't. I certainly would not have said DeSantis had lost the dressing room. Yeah. Uh, by any stretch, but uh, yeah. the, you're right. There are uh, young players who have been have been given an opportunity. I think some definitely have to step up to an, an entirely different level here. Now, this is only my opinion, of course, yeah. because it's. Uh, I I think a little bit differently. I'm all about giving young players an opportunity. I at FC Edmonton yeah. as the manager there for five years. You know, I played Hanson Boakai, a 16 year old, because he was ready to play. Uh, in the league and and unfortunately his career fizzled out but uh, I'm all for it if the player is ready for it now there have been occasions now where Canadian players have been given a real good opportunity with the Whitecaps and haven't taken them you mentioned Theo Bear and I don't think he's taken the opportunity at all I I think that Mm. uh, this for me if I was a Whitecaps manager this would be his last crack at it Theo Bear going to Europe um, you know, he has to do well there, as an example, mm-hmm. because for me, he hasn't done it in a white cap strip, you know, the odd goal here and there, but he, his work ethic has to improve. There's a lot of things that, that, mm-hmm. are, that are needed there. So there's the, 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 the sense of entitlement that is in the mm-hmm. game, full stop, that the players mm-hmm. know, it's a shame because the system, uh, Mark has spoken about very often, about the system within North America, mm-hmm. Work, has worked against a lot of players because there is no reserve league in Scotland. There is a reserve league in England. You get reserve leagues and so on and so forth. So there is a place for young players to get bedded in, or they go out on loan into other lower division teams. So here's an opportunity for young Theo as an, as an example to go to Norway mm-hmm. and really stake a claim to get back into the Whitecaps first team. And touch wood, hopefully the young lad does it. But uh, you know he's now at the stage where he has to make an impression because what he's what 21 22 or maybe I believe he's 21 yeah I think yeah yeah at 21 I was an established first team player in the UK you know mm. I was a Doncaster Rovers captain the you know the, the, this is what I'm talking about these guys are it's a, it's unfortunate because they're 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 victims of what's happening in, uh, yeah. in Canada at the moment where we don't have now the Canadian Premier League hopefully uh, we, we can keep expanding that because it's given guys a fantastic opportunity to play. I played the Canadian Soccer League myself. I mean, I was on loan at the time from, from Hamilton in Scotland. So I came across and played for Hamilton Steelers. But I know how important that that league was at that time. Paul Pescasolido, Alex Bunbury came through those leagues and, and played, you know, I played with uh, Alex at, at Hamilton. So the... You know, there, there is a, a light at the tunnel. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. At this moment in time, for those, those lads involved in the MLS clubs, uh, you know, unless they're playing local teams, for instance, I was the, the head coach of the, the Vancouver Tigers who recently played against the Whitecaps under 23s, one each mm-hmm. is one guard stadium. You know, 500 people at the game, apparently. So 
they, they need games. The kids, the boys, they need games to be playing and competing against older players and men to get them up to that level of football. Mm-hmm. Right, Colin, I think that is going to wrap up our time here tonight. I don't want to keep you any longer, but I've really appreciated our chat. I can't believe it's taking us this long to get you on uh, the podcast here, but we have really appreciated your time here. Yeah, better late than never, isn't it? Better exactly. Late. My pleasure. I thoroughly I'll come back on any time. Perfect. Good to hear it. All right. Talk soon, Colin. That was Colin Miller from AM730 Traffic, previously TSN 1040, also previously assistant manager on the White Cap. So he knows about at least what Phil DeSantos is going through. You know, those DeSantos brothers, they've, you know, they've been together the whole time. They've been at this club. So, uh, yeah, it's, it. you know, we'll, we'll wrap up here just because it's already been a quite a long episode and I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, how many of you guys are still out there. Um, but, yeah, no, it's been really fun, this quick little not really quick, but this emergency sort of let's really dive in. And I figured, you know, the, the, the finale for the show wasn't, we didn't really have any guests or much. It was just kind of me and Seb reminiscing about old times and stuff. So I did kind of want to get like a big, you know, a big super studded uh, uh, lineup here of guests. And I think I did a pretty okay job given the, the, the short notice and the short turnaround time I was working on Friday as well. So if it wasn't for me working, this may have been out on Friday and, I guess may not have been as good, but regardless, this is, you're getting it, you're getting what you're getting and you're getting when you're getting it. So this has been episode, what is this? Is this episode 57? I always forget. Just give me two seconds. Yeah. Episode 57 of the, of the 90 plus podcast. I'm your host, Ben Rigetti. I believe this is probably going to be the last time, at least for a while that um, I'm going to be recording here. Uh, again, me and Seb said in the in the the true season, this true finale uh, last episode that you know the door is open. That if we do want to kind of keep it going, or sh- you know, if we manage to randomly land a big interview, then you know we'll turn the mics on and put it out there. But the the standard weekly coverage, as you guys have known and loved for a year and a half now, that has stopped. So uh, I, I'm not sure when I'll talk to you guys again. I'm not sure if I'll talk to you guys again. I'm sure I will at some point. I don't know if I'll do like a season, end of the season thing or what, but yeah, this has been uh, Ben Rigetti, uh, host of Nine Plus Podcast, episode 58 and 57. Gosh, look at me. I'm so rusty. I I, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I'm glad that we re- I retired from podcasting when I did. But regardless, big news, big episode. Figured we needed a, an emergency 911 podcast. So thank you guys for listening and talk to you guys next time. <laughs>